1: You may know his story from the popular movie, The Rookie, that starred Dennis Quaid. Today's guest, Jim Morris, was a high school teacher and baseball coach who wanted to motivate his team. He told the boys, if you win a district championship, I'll go try out for a major league baseball team. The bet was born, and with it, so was the rookie. Jim's players won the district championship, and Jim fulfilled his end of the bet. He went to a tryout and threw 12 consecutive 98-mile-per-hour pitches. Three months later, 35-year-old school teacher Jim Morris was striking out Major League hitters in front of his high school players and family. The movie The Rookie won the ESPY for Sports Film of the Year, and Sports Illustrated voted it one of the five greatest baseball films ever made. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Glad to be here with you, Joan.
1: You know, Jim, your movie, The Rookie, I've always loved it. It's, it's one of my favorites, and I don't think I've ever gotten through that movie with a dry eye. Being a, a professional baseball player was something that you always dreamt about doing, but you settled in as a high school teacher. What was your life like before you became a teacher, and, and did you always want to play professional ball?
2: From the age of five, I wanted to be a professional ball player. I didn't even know that I got paid at that time. I just (laughs) thought, hey, if I get a hot dog and a Coke, that's cool. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the movie displays the relationship between my father and myself as being kind of rough. It was actually a lot worse than that. It was more about the kids in the movie than it was about my parents. So uh, early on, I had a rough childhood and was told I wasn't good enough and I never would be. and, And so I was hard on myself, and therefore... Uh, talked myself out of a lot of dreams when I was younger, including educationally. And so I had to learn at a later age that dreams can come true.
1: You know, it's interesting, Jim. Someone had written an article for our, our digital magazine. And in the article, they wrote about how, you know, we spend our entire lives with ourselves. We should be the person we know the best, that we love the most. And yet we look for all of this external validation. And you just spoke about the impact of harsh words. And isn't it interesting how we allow those externals to really dominate who and what we are?
2: Oh, it's amazing. When I look back now, I'm a completely different person uh, than before I coached those kids. Uh, I would let those voices creep in and take over. And and now when I get tired or something, I'll, I'll hear them and I can just go, you know what, that stuff's not true. I know exactly who I am and what I'm doing. But for a lot of us, those words become imprinted on us and we start to believe. And, you know, I tell people in the audiences, you can live up to or down to expectations put upon you. For the first part of my life, I lived down to expectations. This part of my life, I'm trying to live up to expectations.
1: Yeah, you know, Jim, one of the interesting things for me about your story is that you made this bet with these boys. And what your end of the deal was, was to go out and do something that would make you completely uncomfortable and something that you didn't believe you would be able to accomplish. So why did you hold up your end of the deal and go to that tryout?
2: I went to that tryout because of my, the relationship I had with my grandfather. When I was 15, my parents moved me from Florida uh, to Texas to play high school football, so our coach didn't even allow high school baseball then. But for those three years, I lived with my grandparents, and I got to watch the way a loving, nurturing couple lives, and they taught me how to be a good human being. They gave me lessons every day, and one of those lessons was if you ever make a promise, you keep that promise. Because when you pass away, you're going to be remembered for one thing. Did you live up to your word? And those kids had nobody to believe in. And for me to back out of that bet at that time after they had done something nobody thought they could do, just because I thought I couldn't do something, that was wrong. And I needed to go to that tryout. And I did. And when I went, I was blown away. I mean, those kids were absolutely right.
1: Jim, when you made that bet, did you believe that they could win the divisionals? Or did you just think it would be something to light a fire under them and see what happens?
2: I was just trying to change the direction. They had heard another coach talking about them an hour before practice one day, saying that they were never going anywhere. They were all losers. They were all never get out of that little town, and you know it spread through my team like wildfire. So at the start of 1999, our first two games were 15 to one and 15 to zero, and we weren't the ones with 15. <laughs> and so I had to change something. And what it came down to was a challenge. And the kids said, "Well, if you want us to chase our dreams, and you have to too." And I just threw it out there, and I said, all right, you guys win a division championship. I will go out, and I will try it again, even though I knew I'd already been told I would never pitch again because of the surgeries. I made the bet, and I was willing to put myself out there and go to a tryout and embarrass myself just to help those kids know that an adult believed in them.
1: So, Jim, you went to the tryouts. What was going through your mind that day?
2: It's going to be the most embarrassing thing I've ever been through in my life. I mean, I can't even, by this time, the kids are hitting me all over the park. I can't even get high school kids out, and I'm going to a tryout with some major league scout, and I'm going to try to impress him. I thought, you know what, I'm going to pitch as quickly as possible, get my kids back in the car, and drive home, and try to get away and tell my kids, you know what, I did it, and I was right. But I wasn't right. They were.
1: So Jim, for somebody who's sitting home right now that wants to try something, that truly believes it will be the most embarrassing thing they will ever do in their life, what would you say to that person?
2: Do you want to wake up in 20 years from now and ask yourself, what if? I mean, that is the big question. That was my question when I found out I threw 98. I knew I'd failed all those times before when I was supposed to be young and talented. Now I wasn't supposed to be talented anymore. What would I do if I'd have said no? I never would have found that out. I never would have known. You don't know until you actually get up and try. So don't wake up one day and ask yourself, what if?
1: And I always say to people that really I've gotten rid of the word failure from my life, because when I go out and speak, I tell someone to try it. Because let's say, Jim, you went to this tryout and let's say what you thought was going to happen happened. It was the most embarrassing event or day of your life. So you went home. Would your life be any different than it was the day before if you didn't try You would have had that regret for the rest of your life, but if you try and maybe it doesn't work out the way you wanted, how did you fail? I I mean, that's what I tell people. There's no such thing as failure. It's just um, your life would be exactly as it was before you went to the tryout, so you have to go for something.
2: Absolutely, you have to go for something. If I would not have gone, I would not have known, and maybe those kids would not have found out that they could accomplish whatever they wanted to. Joan... Every kid on that team except one, nobody played baseball after high school, but every kid except one got a college degree, owns their own businesses. I have a kid flying helicopters for the Coast Guard, and they have their own families now. And they, nobody lives in Big Lake anymore. They all live all across the country. And that is just amazing to me that those kids learned that. And I was the person... Who's able to push them, and they push me back.
1: You know, we're talking about you going on and becoming a Major League Baseball player and following your dream, but I think what you just said is such a powerful aspect of your story. It's how one man can touch the lives of so many others, and that's what we forget. Every one of us has the power to influence and impact others in such a profound way, and we don't see that, I don't think, often enough.
2: We don't see that and in a profound way, can go either way, either negative or positive. And once I got the negative stuff out of my life, uh, the positive took over. And because of those kids, now I know anything's possible.
1: So, Jim, you got the call. What was the next step after the tryouts?
2: I signed a minor league contract. I took a pay cut from teaching to play minor league baseball. And, you know, I'm grading science papers in May of 1999, in September of 1999. I'm in the ballpark in Arlington pitching against the Texas Rangers uh, because of a group of high school kids.
1: How long did you play in the majors?
2: I played for two years. I came back for a third year. We were getting ready to film the movie. I was going through a, a bad marriage, and I went home. My son called me during spring training with the Dodgers and said, Dad, when are you coming home? An hour later, I was in my car with everything packed, and I was on my way home. I went home and got my kids, and we went to the movie set.
1: So you got this call that they were going to film this movie with Dennis Quaid playing you. How did that feel? I mean, was this surreal? Did you even think that this was a possibility?
2: Uh, it was, it's still It's still surreal. You know, there, was, there were points, and I look back now, like the time, the day that Dennis signed the contract, I went over to his house in Brentwood, and we played catch in his front yard. I mean, you look back at stuff like that, and you're like, did I do that? I mean, this guy's made 60 movies. I'm playing catch with him in his front yard. Are you kidding me? And so, yeah, it's been surreal. I mean, it's still surreal if you sit back and think about it.
1: Was his portrayal of you accurate? Did he really get a sense for what you were going through at that time?
2: Everybody seems to think so. So, yes, ma'am, he did.
1: What do you say to someone who says that he or she is too old or not talented enough, or has a million excuses that they've developed. And age is usually one that most people use when they want to follow a new dream. So what do you say about that age factor?
2: Age doesn't matter. I've had people come up to me in different venues around the world telling me that they've seen my movie or they've heard me speak at one point and they've come back to tell me that they've changed their lives. I had one lady come up and she was a waitress uh, who had served this breakfast, professional breakfast deal I did in California. And, she waited till everybody was gone. She came up to me crying, hugging me. She goes, I went through a divorce the year your movie came out. I watched it. I graduated medical school last month. And this is my last week to work here. And I got to see you and tell you thank you.
1: You were given a second chance in life. And and we've been talking about it. You grabbed it. and, And we've been discussing how important it is for people to go out and follow their dreams. But what about the person that really feels like they've been on the wrong path. They've just made such a mess of their life and they're trying to get a second chance. What do you say to someone about second chances?
2: Second chances are always possible. I mean for me it was a third, fourth and a fifth chance that finally took hold and it was a group of kids who pointed that out to me. Uh, There's never a reason to give up, even when things look overwhelming and obstacles get in your way. Don't let things stand your way. You sit back for a little bit, you make a plan And you go after that plan. And that's what I tell the kids I teach baseball lessons to today. You make a plan, you stay with the plan, and you work your plan. And then you go after it and you see what happens. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, that's fine, too, because at least you know that venue is closed off. But it may open up the door to something else you didn't even know was there.
1: Jim, you're a motivational speaker, and you go out and you talk to groups all over the world. And what are some of the steps that you teach people to really focus on a new direction or a path, getting from point A to point B in their life?
2: I think the most important lessons are the ones that my grandfather taught me, Uh, family, uh, faith, and taking care of other people before yourself. And I think if you give back, then you're going to receive tenfold in return for that. And I can't say it any more justly than this. I got that from those high school kids. When I gave them everything I had They gave me everything they had. And so the lessons that I take, the number one lesson would be from my grandfather. Remember who you are and where you came from and go from there.
1: In the beginning of the interview, you spoke about the difficult relationship you had with your father. Was it easy to forgive him? And if you were able to, did it free you?
2: Absolutely. It freed me and it took me a long time to come to that point, but I had, I have had to learn to forgive him for me, uh, not forgive him for him, but forgive him for me so that I could move on with my life. Now, we still don't get along. We still don't talk. He's missed his grandkids grow up. But I did forgive him. And it was for myself. He just chose not to be a part of their lives.
1: If someone's sitting home right now going through a difficult family situation, what would be your advice to that person to make the first step to change those dynamics?
2: Uh, be introspective. Look at yourself and see what there is about yourself that could be wrong or not be wrong and take an inventory of the positives and negatives of the relationship. And you just got to move on from there. If that doesn't work, then you get professional help. Um, I'm not afraid to say that I had to do that. And it worked. You know what? Those negative feelings are gone. And I can look at my life in a whole new light, and I see positives everywhere I turn. And never, ever give up.
1: Jim, you spoke about how when you were playing ball with Dennis and and you just couldn't believe that this is the direction your life had taken. What does it feel like, truly feel like to your core, to have been someone that has had the opportunity to live out his dream?
2: Um, I guess it would be wrong if I didn't say it was amazing, but I really don't look at myself in that way. I look at myself as someone who was pushed by a group of kids to do something he didn't think he could do and accomplished it. I attribute my dreams to my kids, my high school kids.
1: The kids supported you through this. Did you tell anyone else that you were going to this tryout?
2: I did tell my father. So my son, my dad, my high school kids were the only people that knew.
1: And did everyone support you or how did your father react?
2: Uh, actually, he was a little bit supportive. He just, he goes, well, you're old. I said, I know. So we just kind of went from there and laughed about it and moved on.
1: You know, and I I asked that question because I know way back when, when I was starting this, that I had majority of people were behind me, but there was one voice. One person had said that I was making a fool of myself. And throughout the entire process, 99 people can say something positive, but it's that one person that you listen to. So that's why I asked about your father. So he, actually, he did support you in a way, which was that did that surprise you?
2: It did surprise me. It was after the fact that I signed the contract and I was going to play that my, my now ex-wife uh, did some newspaper articles telling people that she was the one with her feet on the ground. and I was living in the clouds and and all kinds of stuff. She didn't believe in me. But my high school kids, my son and my parents believed in me. And so that was good enough for me.
1: So, Jim, how did this experience change your life? Did you go back to teaching, or did it just catapult you in a totally different direction?
2: It catapulted me in a totally different direction, although I've had job offers from, from Major League Baseball down to college and high school levels. And, and, you know, I got yelled at, cursed at, and screamed at the entire time I grew up. And that's not how I teach, and that's not how I coach. I talk to kids like they're human beings, and that's what they respond to. And so I've been successful at that.
1: Jim, if we have any kids that are listening to this show, and if they're living in an abusive family situation, what would you say to those kids to give them strength that they can get through such a situation, maybe where they can seek some help?
2: Uh, your high school or, or your school counselor at first, and just the first thing you have to realize is it's not about you. Uh, the problems that are caused between adults is not about the kids ever. It's about the parents. And so if you can get that in your head and you can go find the help, um, there's free psychological advice in almost every city that I know of. Uh, you can go to your school counselor or um, a city counselor and, and talk to somebody. But, but talk to somebody. That's the important thing.
1: Jim, if our listeners would like to get more information about you and your work, where can they go?
2: Uh, JimTheRookieMorris.com.
1: So that's Jim the dot com and as always listeners can visit our website, c Y A C Y L dot com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, while on our site. Listen to Past Shows' podcast, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, take part in the book club, and be sure to follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. Jim, in our remaining moments, what would be the one thing you would like our listeners to walk away with from this interview? What's your most important message for them?
2: Uh, My most important message, I think, is that nothing is impossible if you give it a chance. But if you're going to give it a chance, you've got to give it 100%, 100% of the time because you don't want to wake up one day and ask yourself "What if?" That is the most important thing. You go for it. If you're going to go for it, go for it.
1: Jim, thank you so much for spending time with us today. As I said in the beginning, this is a very special show for me. It's about dreams. I followed mine. You followed yours. And I hope that there's someone out there listening to us right now that something we've said in this interview would excite and motivate them to move forward with something they want to accomplish in life. So thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Absolutely, Joan, and congratulations to you.
1: Thanks so much, Jim. It was a pleasure meeting you, and I'd love to have you come back anytime.
2: I appreciate that, Joan, and good luck.
1: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to primohealthsolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best.
3: Calm, vitality,
4: mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison.
1: to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our coach on-call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, Offering Hope and Possibility in Uncertain Times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. Allison is here today to discuss why expectations can be a source of suffering. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. Allison, when we expect things to happen and they don't, we can feel disappointed. And and I know this firsthand. I'm someone who really does expect a lot from other people. And there's a saying that goes, if you don't expect anything, you can't get hurt. Do you believe the expectations that we hold can have a negative impact on how we live our life?
5: Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, expectations are our way to deal with uncertainty because deep down a lot of us are afraid that we're not okay. So we write stories about what needs to happen for us to feel safe. And that's what expectations are. We hold them and they make us feel safe, but they're really just a story. And the trickiest thing about expectations is we don't realize it. We think that expectations are making us feel better. But really, they create so much dissatisfaction in our lives. And I can even just remember a few weeks back, I took my parents to my favorite Japanese restaurant and I was so excited. And the minute we walked in, my mother looked around and the place was a little shabby and she didn't like where she was sitting. And because it wasn't what she expected, because she thought to herself, oh, Alison's taking me to her favorite restaurant because it didn't look the way that she thought it was going to look, and because the table wasn't where she thought it was going to be, the dissatisfaction kicked in. And as we were eating the food, she was never able to let go of that initial reaction to the restaurant. And that's what happens. Because things are not happening the way we thought, we sit in this satisfaction, and what it really does is it steals the moment. And that's the most poignant thing about expectations is because we're so disappointed we can't see what's in front of us. There could be a miracle happening in front of us and we wouldn't know it. And it's interesting if you speak to people who have had great loss in their lives. They're, they're very interesting because they see how their expectations stole that moment and they have these feelings if i could just go back and do it again and we don't want to live like that the best way to live is to free ourselves and to come into each moment and allow ourselves to see the miracle of a moment and that's present living and present living is poignant living it's deep living and then when we let go of those expectations we could have an expansive view of all that's happening in our lives but another thing expectation does the third thing is that It also creates broken ideas, and that's something we all also need to look at because you could have a business, and if you have this expectation that you were going to make all this money, $200,000, $300,000, and it's only making $50,000, if it's a broken idea, what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to see the real success of your business because you're going to be so busy saying, I should have made that kind of money that you won't be able to look at what you have. And you won't be able to use it as a springboard to move forward. And I also find sometimes even in broken relationships, people get so caught on the idea of what they thought they would have that sometimes they don't even have a broken heart. It's just a broken idea of how you thought life would be. And when we carry these broken ideas, we can't move forward. We can't live in an expansive way. So what expectations do is they create a story that we think is going to keep us safe. But what they really do is they steal the moment and they don't allow us to see what's really happening in our lives.
1: I can recall a conversation that I had with you recently, and in it, I was sharing a story about something that happened in the past, and I said the words to you, so-and-so should have, and before I even finished the sentence, you stopped me and you said, get rid of the should. So how can we learn to expect less? Do you have a technique that you can offer to help us?
5: Yes, I have three steps that I use in my own life and with my clients to try to lessen expectations. And the first one is always awareness. And I find that if I'm aware of my expectations, I'm able to let them go. Because if you think about it, if you could start every day and say, I'm not going to expect anything today. I'm not going to expect what this restaurant's going to be like. I'm not going to expect what my relationship with my friend is going to be like. I'm going to have no expectation for what my workday is going to be like. We're not going to constantly be disappointed. Because we're going to say, I'm just going to be open. I don't know what's going to happen. And it's not like you're giving up your likes and your dislikes, but because you lessen those expectations, you're going to be so present that whatever comes your way, you're going to enjoy and you're going to be open. But you're also going to see so many more possibilities in your life because you don't realize expectations shut us down. It's a limited view of all that can be. And the minute we let it go, we are so available for new possibilities. We are so available for what uncertainty can give us. It's almost like we're walking around with more strength and more trust for ourselves because we're allowing life to unfold. And we're saying, I'm going to be so present, willing, and able to handle what comes my way. And I'm going to be willing to pursue my goals in such an open way that you're going to allow more things to happen for yourself. Another reason why they steal our joy is because they make us think the life we have is always going to be there. We think our husband's always going to be there. Our friends are always going to be there. Our job is always going to be there. And so we stop seeing the miracles because we think life is always going to be a certain way. And I don't say this to upset people. I say it that it's so sacred every moment of our lives. So if we're able to see the sacredness and let go of how we think it's always going to be. That's when the preciousness comes in. That's when we notice the flowers. We notice the trees. We feel the love that we share with someone because it's so precious because we don't know how long it'll be there and if it'll always be there. So it's not that we live in more fear, but we live in more gratitude and appreciation. And I also just want to go back to this idea of broken ideas that the expectation makes us hold on to things in our lives that are really not working. And that's what I call the broken idea. It's that we're so sure our lives should have been a certain way that we can't let it go and see what it is today. And life will always change and things we thought we'd have in our lives, sometimes we don't. And businesses we thought we'd have and partners we thought we'd have, everything always changes. And so we have to be able to let go of the life we thought we were going to have. To really embrace the life that's in front of us and to also embrace what could possibly be. So, you need to ask yourself is what's happening in my life real or it's just a broken idea of how I thought it should be? And if we could let go of these ideas and the past and how we thought it could be and the expectations, we will show up so open to have the life that we really want to have. And that's the most important thing. If we could be present, we could be open and we could look into the unknown and say I'm still okay and I can handle what's happening I don't need to expect things I just need to be open and have faith in myself that no no matter what happens I will still be okay and life is filled with hope and possibility.
1: Can you apply the concept of maybe to eliminating expectations?
5: Absolutely because deep down we create these expectations because we're afraid that we won't be okay. That's the biggest fear that we're not safe, that we're not well, that we can't have success. So what this idea of maybe does, it just allows us to cast doubt on our biggest fear. So for me, when a big disappointment happens, when I see I have a broken idea, the first thing that I will say to myself is maybe I'm still okay. Maybe everything is still okay. Maybe what's happening is good. Maybe things will get better. So what it does, it just provides hope and allows me to let go of everything I thought I knew and to realize that just because I don't know, doesn't mean that things are not going to be okay. And just because I don't know doesn't mean that it, that success is not around the corner. Everything we don't know is not our enemy and maybe reminds us of that, maybe allows us to let go of the expectations and to look within ourselves and to look outside of ourselves and know it's all a big maybe, but that is hopeful and that is filled with new possibilities and new opportunities for our life moving forward.
1: Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, AllisonCarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, slash Allison. We'll be right back.
6: It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. There's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org.
0: This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City you
1: to conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. According to today's guest, Valerie Burton, despite having better jobs, better education, more money, and more choices than ever before, today's women are actually less happy than women 40 years ago. Valerie is a frequent media contributor who has appeared in and on the Today Show, CNN, Fox News, Dr. Oz, Oprah, and the Los Angeles Times. Welcome, Valerie. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Valerie, as women... We search for happiness in relationships, jobs, material items. We have more today than women before us than ever before. And yet you say we're less happy and that by age 40, many women feel their life hasn't turned out as they'd hoped. Why do you believe this is happening?
4: Well, actually, that that whole statement is based on a really interesting study that came out just from the Wharton School. It's called basically the the paradox of declining female happiness, that when you look at women from the early '70s and you look at women 40 years later, that women's happiness, especially starting in early '40s, has begun to decline, and men are continuing to see their happiness increase. Uh, and so I, you know, I began just talking to women. What, what do you think that is? You would think that with more opportunities, more education, more income more technology that's made, you know, household work more uh, a little easier to do, that we would be happier. And so what is it that, that's going on? And so that was a big part of what prompted um, Happy Women Live Better. And then I thought to myself, well, what can we do about it? And so The book is really about these 13 research-based happiness triggers, things that you can do every single day. You don't have to do all 13, but, you know, finding what can you do to boost your happiness in a really practical and intentional way.
1: You were talking about a study, and and studies show that women who are financially dependent on their husbands are more loyal, but men who are financially dependent on their wives are actually more likely to cheat. Do you think (laughs) that has something to do with this male need to feel masculine?
4: I think that in that men are wired uh, to provide, I do believe that, um, and uh, that when they are more dependent on women, I think that there's a there's a shift uh, in the dynamic that's very unfortunate. I mean that it's unfortunate when you look at that and even uh, the fact that when women's income uh, exceeds sixty percent of household income, uh, divorce is far more likely. I mean there are issues going on with the changing dynamics in our culture that obviously, as women with more education, we're making more money. And it impacts, it can impact, doesn't impact every relationship, but many relationships have some dynamics that that become negative uh, as a result. And so, you know, I think it's something just for us to be aware of. And, um, and that, For a woman looking for relationships, she has to have a man who's very secure and very um, supportive if she has a high income. I think that's uh, that's an unfortunate
1: reality. Let's talk about something happy. (laughs) Let's talk about what we can do to trigger happiness. You talk about 13 happiness triggers in your book. Let's go through a few of these and see if we can bring someone some joy. (laughs) Yes, let's bring some joy. And one
4: thing I want the women to do, and and men too, actually, this test is relevant for everybody, but if you go to happywomantest.com, you can take this free quiz, and it will tell you what your personal triggers are, which are the happiness triggers that you are probably using Uh, pretty frequently and it will tell you your power triggers those are that's my positive term for the ones at the bottom (laughs) These are the ones (laughs) that you don't use so much but if you figure out what they are and you start to use them they have the greatest ability to boost your happiness because you're not really activating those happiness triggers very often
1: all right so what are some of these triggers well one
4: of my favorite actually my absolute favorite happiness trigger is called anticipation and think of it like this. Have the mantra that every day I make sure I have something to look forward to. Anticipation builds up kind of this hope for what's going to happen in the future. And it can be simple things like tonight you're going to have dinner with a friend or your spouse. Or it could be the bubble bath you're going to take. They're the bigger things like vacations that you plan. So be very intentional about having something every day that you're looking forward to. So, you know, another one of my favorites is play. So the mantra that I ask you to have is I give myself permission to play, be silly, and have fun. And, you know, when, when you are stressed out, play is actually a really great tool to use because it's impossible to play and multitask at the same time. Play really requires your full attention. Play helps you to relax. It allows your mind to quit thinking about all the stuff that you're stressed about and to just focus on, on pure joy.
1: Valerie, what are some of the myths that you find women have about happiness? Oh, I think the
4: biggest myth that we have is that we know what will make us happy. And this is for everyone really and we are actually very poor predictors of what will make us happy and it it puts us on something called that psychologists call a hedonic treadmill which is simply the idea that you know we think we know what's gonna make us happy maybe it's the new house the new job the new car and once we attain that you know we're excited for a minute we get some pleasure from it and then after a while we get used to it and so we have this um, kind of continually increasing uh, set of requirements Of what it takes to be happy we get used to it now we need something more and so we've got to get clear about what really brings us joy which has to do with things like connection finding a sense of purpose serving others playing being intentional like I said about anticipation all of those things will help you to find greater levels of contentment and probably the best thing you can do to create contentment is to be intentional about gratitude Right? When you get used to things, you begin taking them for granted. Even the things, if you look back five years ago, ten years ago, I bet there are things in your life right now that you, you wished back then that you had. And many of those things you don't even give a second thought to anymore. So being able to stop and notice the progress that you've made and how far you've come can actually help you to stop uh, kind of running on that hedonic treadmill of always needing more and more more. Uh, to be
1: happy. The book is Happy Women Live Better by Valerie Burton. If you'd like more information about Valerie, you can visit her website, ValerieBurton.com. Valerie, thank you so much for being here with us today. This is such important information as you and I were saying in the beginning. Women today, they're just having so much trouble trying to figure out where we fit in. And I think in doing that, somewhere along the way, we've lost ourselves and we've lost our ability to find our joy. Yeah. So this is a really important message. Thank you for being here.
4: Oh, thanks so much for having me. Great, great questions. You're a great interviewer.
3: <laughs> Thank you. We'll be right back. The best way to get fit is with the fit principle. I'm Christina Nemec, co-founder of PATH Health Consultants. Here at PATH, we focus on using lifestyle to prevent and manage health risks. We're a workplace wellness firm dedicated to improving the bottom line of the organizations we work with. Our innovative, personalized approach to wellness supports employees as they adopt and sustain behaviors that improve or maintain their health. In addition, we offer a variety of health seminars and workshops to companies interested in educating and supporting their employees in a group setting. FIT stands for frequency, intensity, time, and type of exercise. Manipulating these four factors can and get you the results you're looking for. How frequently you exercise has a profound impact on your fitness. Getting in some exercise every day is best, but regular physical activity will keep you healthy and fit. Intensity is how hard you work and determines whether you'll get health or fitness benefits from your exercise. The more intense the exercise, the more fit you become. Time is how long you'll spend on each activity. You might spend 30 minutes exercising on one day and 60 minutes on another. It doesn't matter how you break it down, it just matters that you put in the time. Finally, type refers to the activity you'll be doing. It could range from swimming, to hiking, to walking around the neighborhood. If you'd like more information on getting fit, please contact us at pathhealthllc.com
7: Do you hear yourself saying too many negative statements? Do you feel it's time to make a change and create a positive mindset? Hypnosis can help the positivity in you come out. Hi, I'm Mary Battaglia, and I'm a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner in Oradell, New Jersey. Every morning, reboot the mind by clearing the thoughts with self-hypnosis or meditation. It takes work on your part. So if you hear yourself saying negative statements, being judgmental of others, then stop and delete the thoughts and reframe them into positive ones. In hypnosis, we look to where the negativity is coming from within and find out why and what it needs to be removed. With hypnosis, you become more aware of what you are saying so you can easily change and create the new habit of a positive mindset. I'm Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner, and you can find out more information at MetroHypnosisCenter.com.
1: The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep, and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up the loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. Your health. Joining me today is Dr. Lorraine Maida, a functional and integrative medicine physician who practices anti aging medicine, executive health, hormone replacement therapy, and weight management. She's the author of Vibrance for Life, How to Live Younger and Healthier. Dr. Maida is here today to discuss the effects of insulin. Welcome, Dr. Maida. Thanks for joining us.
6: Thank you so much for having me, Joan.
1: Dr. Maida, I know that insulin is used to control diabetes. However, I'm hearing that in non-diabetics, it can be a problem and lead to weight gain. Can you tell us more about this?
6: Absolutely. Well, you're right. Insulin is used to drive sugar or glucose into the cells to be burned as fuel. But whatever is not burned, insulin will signal the cells to store that unused, unburned glucose as fat. And fat cells release chemical substances called cytokines. Cytokines signal inflammation. And the more you eat sugar and processed carbohydrates and starchy foods and alcohol, if there's an excess and you don't burn it, the more insulin you're going to make to drive that stuff into your cells to be burned. And what's not burned is going to be stored in fat. And it has to get the sugar out of your bloodstream. That's why it's stored as fat because sugar in your bloodstream, too much of it is going to bind to protein all over your body.
1: So, Dr. Mehta, most people get their annual physicals and they get their sugar checked. And if it's in a normal range, does that mean that they don't have to worry about being insulin resistant?
6: Not at all, Joan. I see people every day and I measure fasting insulin in almost all of my patients. And I see people with normal to sort of high normal blood sugars and it's often overlooked. But then when I look at their insulin, if it's high, they have problems and almost... Everyone who has high insulin has some kind of issue, whether it's weight, fertility, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Some have outright diabetes. Some have just dysregulated sugar. But it's a problem. And the number one problem of being insulin resistant is weight gain and obesity. That leads to chronic inflammation. Like we said, they release the the cytokines and it becomes a vicious cycle. The more insulin you make, the more you need to get the same effect. And it's just like alcohol is to an alcoholic. You need more and more and more, and it's just not doing its job. Understand that inflammation is the root cause of almost every illness. Everything from allergies, arthritis, asthma, autoimmune disorders, cardiovascular disease like high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, and you know you name it, anything with an itis. inflammation and it's going to cause big problems and the other major problem with insulin resistance is the it's what's called metabolic syndrome and that's a constellation of symptoms uh, and issues high blood pressure high blood sugar high triglycerides increased waist circumference and fat gets stored in all your organs like your your pancreas and your liver and you get non-fatty, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, so your liver detoxifies things, and if it's filled with fat, it's not going to work well, and if your pancreas is filled with fat over time, it's not going to work very well either, and these are organs that are essential for your health, and another less well-known disorder that root causes is high insulin and insulin resistance is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Women don't ovulate, they can't make progesterone, they gain weight, they make too much testosterone, they get hair on their bodies, they lose hair on their head and they can't get pregnant. I'm seeing more and more of that and it's all rooted in insulin resistance.
1: So doctor, these consequences sound serious. Is there anything that we can do about this to prevent it? Absolutely Joan, you know there's so many gradations
6: of these disorders. So. First and foremost, you measure, because if you don't measure, you don't know you have it. Low glycemic diets are the best for people who have high insulin, and that means, you know, how fast does your body absorb sugar? So you don't want processed foods or sugary foods. You wanna make sure you avoid these, and you know, starches or sugar. So a low carbohydrate, low glycemic diet is good, and vegetables are wonderful, protein is wonderful, Uh, if you're overweight sometimes I do a whole metabolic reset where I limit the carbs and I limit the processed carbs and the simple carbs and I limit fat and that can turn around insulin resistance like crazy it's it's amazing to see somebody drop from 30 to seven in you know, just a you know, few short weeks. The other major factor is exercise because you wanna burn all that glucose. You wanna make your cells more responsive and less resistant to the inf- insulin. So the diet, the exercise, and then supplements like fish oil, alpha-lipoic acid, berberine, chromium, vanadium, and even cinnamon can be helpful. But be careful if you use cinnamon on your food because you want to use the Ceylon cinnamon, C-E-Y-L-O-N. This is the cinnamon that works better. The common cinnamon that's sold on the shelf, unless it says Ceylon, is usually cassia. And cassia can contain high levels of coumarin, which is um, a natural ingredient that when eaten in large amounts, it can cause some liver toxicity that's reversible when you stop it. So there are a group of individuals that are sensitive to it. And I would always look for Ceylon cinnamon.
8: Dr. Mehta, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be right back. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want, and so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right or do we want a result, the result being we'd like to get along? Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching, and they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego, but ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different There isn't a right or wrong There's just different experiences going on here So we just need to talk it through And land somewhere that feels really good for both of us So you want to do a lot of that Non-heated conversation So that you can both feel good But nobody is charging at another person It's not being heard and right It's just working toward the positive result Lindsay Levinson Qualityforlifecoaching.com Look me up I'd love to talk to you Help you in any way I might be able to
9: When thinking about selling your home, many sellers start preparing by fixing and even updating different parts of their home. Although sometimes this may be important to get a higher sale price for your home, sometimes sellers go a little too over the top and end up spending more money and time than needed. Hi, my name is Danielle Grosso, a real estate agent here with some advice about home improvements in preparation for selling. According to House Logic, the four home improvements that created the highest return on investment were upgrading the landscaping with bright shrubs or trees, a flagstone walkway, planners or more, installing a new roof if your roof is on the last leg of its life, refinishing your current hardwood floors, or even adding new hardwood floors, or adding an outdoor patio or outdoor deck. Try walking through your home as a buyer and imagine what they would think as they were touring your home. Then make your list of improvements from there. A local realtor would be happy to help you and provide their advice as well. If you have further questions about this or real estate in general, please feel free to contact me at any time at danielle-grosso.com.
1: That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.
0: The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's